Welcome to Podcast Rebellion. I am joined here by Whiskey Wednesday. I'm Juco All-American, and uh, we are going to be talking through a lot of stuff about football. Um, spring practice is underway. Obviously, baseball is also happening. Softball is happening. We're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> we're going to we're going to keep things at at football because I think that's uh, there's a lot to talk about, and we don't have a ton of time. So. Uh, let's kick things right off, and we can talk a little bit about uh, the two newest additions to the Ole Miss roster in Ulysses Bentley IV, a running back from SMU, and Kari Coleman, a previously defensive end, now linebacker from TCU. So both out of the state of Texas. Uh, they committed a while back. Well, actually, I guess Ulysses Bentley was only, what, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Um, but now the unexpected news is that they are actually able to practice in spring practice, despite not having enrolled, I guess, for the semester. I have no idea how that's the case. Maybe they're like taking some sort of mid-semester class or something like that, but uh, it doesn't matter. They're, they're practicing. <laughs> I don't care about their, cla- their grades or, or classwork or anything like that. Um, so yeah, let, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, certainly Ulysses Bentley IV, uh, he rushed for over 900 yards in 2020 uh, as a true freshman. I think he was the freshman of the year for the for the conference. Uh, and but then as a sophomore, he apparently had some ankle injuries that were nagging and uh, rushed for I think 600 uh, yards on the season. He is sort of a shifty running back. He's not in the Snoop Connor vein of of run you over, but. Yeah, in in 2020, he averaged 5.4 yards per carry. In 2021, he actually did better at 6.4, which is awesome, but, uh, you know, not as many opportunities because of the ankle injuries. Um, He also is a viable receiving threat with around 20 receptions in in each season. Uh, Whiskey, what what are your thoughts on on Ulysses Bentley? I think it's a pretty good find for, you know, where we were, I guess, in the, the cycle. Um, and I think looking at his highlights, he seems like a guy who could be a nice uh, replacement for Henry Parrish. Um, has some receiving skills, has some elusiveness. Um, you do notice how often he kind of cuts back and things like that. He's doesn't appear to be a guy who really gets downhill quickly, which, you know, facing harder competition could be a problem, but I think he, he definitely fills a need in the running back room and yeah, hopefully we see some cool stuff from him. He, he does have some uh, playmaking ability for sure. Yeah. I, you know, you touched on it, but I was a little, I mean, I I think that he's a, a really good addition. It makes sense to add him. Um, when I watched his film, I was a little bit worried about how he does seem to want to bounce a lot outside. And, you know, when you're playing against defenses with the speed of, you know, many of the SEC defenses, it's going to be tough to be able to kind of beat them around the edge as, as frequently as he did at SMU. Um, so hopefully there, I mean, it's not as if he never is a tough runner. Uh, that, that That's not at all the case. There were times that he would kind of lower his shoulder, uh, cut back into the teeth of the defense, that sort of thing. But, um, 
you know, it seems like his his bread and butter is breaking big runs to the outside, and that's tougher. It's not impossible, but it's tougher uh, in the SEC. So we'll see how that works. I, I I am still very much of the opinion that the uh, running load will be dominated by Zach Evans, um, and Ulysses Bentley is more a two than a one B. Um, yeah. So let's also talk about Kari Coleman. I think it's really interesting. Um, so he, he was a fantastic defensive end for for TCU. Uh, he, I guess I should say, he was really fantastic as a as a true freshman in 2020. Uh, in that season, he had 15 and a half uh, tackles for a loss, which is just crazy. Uh, and he followed that up with a, a big drop off in year two. Um, but he apparently also had some injuries through the season, wasn't able to play in every game. And also when he did play, he was kind of not not able to launch in the same way as he did as a freshman. So the fascinating thing to me about him is he is actually transferred to Ole Miss, but has been announced as a linebacker. Um, and he's so he's listed at 6'2", 220. So it's not as if he's, you know, a 275 defensive end who's trying to play linebacker or something. Um, and he seems to be, you know, good in space, that sort of thing. But I don't know that I've ever seen a defensive end transfer to linebacker. I, it typically goes the other way. Um, but I guess Ole Miss has tons of needs at linebacker, so it makes sense. Do you have any uh, thoughts on kind of what you would be looking to see from him and 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 sort of test to see whether he's, he's viable at that position? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, lateral speed. One of the things that was so great about Chance Campbell was his ability to spy quarterbacks and to, you know, pursue, um, you know, laterally. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, one of the reasons that, that you mentioned why it's rare for defensive ends to trans, uh, transition to linebacker. Um, also, you know, there's an experience void at, at linebacker now too. Um, obviously bringing in Troy Brown, um, will bring a lot of experience. Uh, but even he seems to be a little bit more of maybe kind of a pass rushing linebacker and not so much like the, the play calling, you know, Mike linebacker that, that chance Campbell was. So it'll be interesting to see if he, uh, if, if Brown steps into that role or if they're going to give Coleman a shot at playing middle linebacker, or if it's, you know, one of the veteran backups that we have. Um, yeah, that a lot of unresolved stuff at the linebacker position. Yeah. I have to think that, um, Kari Coleman would be tasked with the same type of um, defensive assignments as uh, as Chance Campbell was last year, as in um, more spying and rushing the QB. You know, Chance Campbell wasn't all that often asked to play legit coverage. Um, that's really not his his sure. strong suit, and that that aligns with a converted defensive end in Kari Coleman, right? But but to your point, uh, you don't necessarily expect a guy who, a sophomore who has been playing defensive end uh, for his career to be able to make those checks at, at the line of scrimmage and that sort of thing. Uh, so we don't really know who that'll fall on. It could be a safety, right? It could be Otis Reese or something like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And is tasked with doing that. Yeah. And there had been some talk about Reese moving to linebacker. I ha- and you haven't heard anything from the team that would indicate that, but you know, uh, 
And yeah, you wonder if Coleman, if they envision him as a year one starter too. I feel like most of the transfer portal guys will be year one starters, but I feel like we have enough bodies, um, you know, in the front seven where that's not necessary for him. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, but he's certainly a year one player, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, let's actually move on to some of the the spring storylines beyond those two newcomers. Uh, We can't not talk about the quarterback battle, although we don't know anything about it, right? Like, uh, everybody wants to talk about Jackson Dart versus Luke Altmaier versus technically Kincaid Dent. Um, And I feel like, look, I listen to other podcasts as well, uh, and I consume other Ole Miss news. um, And... Everybody just says the same thing over and over again, which is like Jackson Dart has, you know, Luke Altmaier has the experience on Jackson Dart, but in terms of the Ole Miss system, but, you know, Jackson Dart might be the more talented player. Like no one has any ability to update, but we should talk about kind of how we're in a weird time for rosters, especially at the quarterback position where since everyone can transfer without sitting out, uh, you being able to have a backup quarterback is a very difficult task. Um, you either have to convince a player to transfer into your, your program for the, for the only time that they can transfer without sitting out or uh, in order to be a backup, or you have to have a, a high schooler who you can convince to stick around long enough as a backup that then they're able to kind of, um, you know, stay for a while. Or <laughs> a high schooler who is not especially good, but, you know, is is good enough as a redshirt sophomore or something that if something catastrophically happened to your starter, then they would, you know, get you through a game or something. Um, I think that if Luke Altmaier were to lose the job, which I think is what most people assume, um, just based on Jackson Dar being brought in, that it would be foolish of him not to transfer. And I, I, I don't like. I think people have already said like, well, he's going to transfer. I don't necessarily know that that's the case. But if, if he outright loses, surely he would transfer, right? Yeah, that's not clear. It it's certainly set up that way. One option that I think he could explore is trying really hard to preserve his red shirt this year and then transferring if it doesn't, you know, this situation hasn't changed. Um, and that, you know, could potentially be the best use of his time to, or his eligibility to, um, because I don't transferring this late in the game, where are you going to transfer where you didn't go through spring practice? You know, you'd have to, transfer perhaps way down uh, in terms of, you know, what conference you're playing in, what, how good the team is around you. Mm, that's um, a good point. Yeah. So you that's would need to that... find a legitimate team with an unsettled quarterback situation or not even unsettled. It would need to be like a dire quarterback situation. Exactly. Um, and, you know, most good programs are <laughs> going to have some kind of contingency, you know? Right. Um, and I think Kiffin is going to let the competition play out for quite a while. And he should a, because we're dealing with two relatively inexperienced quarterbacks at B because you want them both on the roster next year. Right. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. And like you said, very interesting to see kind of what happens in the transfer portal era with, you know, quarterback depth in general. 
because it's a really difficult situation. It's, it's the position where you can't really platoon like you do at a lot of other spots. And so right. like, are you going to have a lot of guys transferring, you know, into blue bloods and competing with each other to see who starts? Um, or are you going to have, you know, a big exodus of quarterback talent from the blue blood bloods downward, just so guys can be ensured that they're going to start somewhere. Like who knows how that's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does put you in a, a great situation from a starting standpoint that I, I don't think that a legit, an SEC school will in the transfer era will have too much trouble finding a legitimate starting quarterback because every year there are going to be people who lose out in a battle, but are good and, you know, can immediately transfer in and start. But conversely, anyone who loses your battle can transfer out and start. Exactly. So, so it's tough. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I hadn't actually thought about the fact, you know, I, I, I know that Luke Altmyer's red shirt was burned in the bowl game because that was the fifth game he played in, but I hadn't really thought about the aspect of uh, how preserving his red shirt this season could just mean that this season is a wash for him if he, if he doesn't win the job and it's not a huge deal if he sticks around. That's, that's an interesting idea. Um, moving on, actually, uh, a, se- a segue here. Uh, an ex- experienced podcaster might say something like, uh, well, we're really going to need that backup because uh, this offensive line, despite being new and, and interesting and possibly improved, uh, did have trouble allowing sacks or did have trouble allowing sacks last year. Uh, actually, I looked it up this morning. Um, this offensive line, or I guess Ole Miss as a team, allowed the same number of sacks last season as Mississippi State, the exact same number. Um, and Mississippi State threw 12,000 times last season. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, allowing the same number of sacks as they did is problematic um, and something that obviously needs to be rectified, especially without a quarterback who is somewhat indestructible in Matt Corral and uh, and a quarterback who will be having to figure things out, whereas Matt Corral kind of had stuff figured out already. Um, I'm interested to see how Mason Brooks works at right tackle. It was confirmed yesterday that Nick Broker will be moving to left guard from left tackle, uh, which could be good, I guess. Um, but it is strange to have a, a senior left tackle move. Um, I, I, it makes sense. That's where he wants to play. That's where he's projected to play in the NFL and everything, but uh, could, could be tough. Uh, let's actually switch gears, though, and talk about coaching schemes. So, uh, Lane Kiffin said in his introductory press conference that the schemes would be very similar, despite all the coaching turnover and everything, the schemes would be very similar, uh, both offensively and defensively. And I think that's a a staple of the program is going to be that regardless of who coordinators are, regardless of who comes and goes in the offseason, Lane Kiffin has decided which defenses and offenses he wants to stick with, at least with the current roster setup. Um, and we'll maintain that. Um, so on offense, uh, that's interesting because the the roster makeup 
in my opinion, is is very different than it was a year ago. Obviously, unproven quarterback, Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley at running back. Uh, do you have any thoughts on kind of whether you would want to see us lean more in the running game and the passing game, kind of how that works? I know that it could be more appealing to run more, but with the current, the way current college football kind of works, that is maybe not as appealing. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, so we probably talked about this before, but Ole Miss runs more than people think and maybe a lot more than people think. Um, oh yeah. We, we were looking up some statistics um, kind of for the purpose of, of talking about the sacks allowed, uh, but, but these will work in here too. So Ole Miss attempted about um, 429 passes last year compared to uh, 702 for MSU, just for reference, because you talked about them throwing it 12,000 times. Uh, anyway, so 429 pass attempts and 581 rush attempts. Um, so that's quite a bit skewed yeah. towards towards rushing in you know 2021. Um, and I think a good bit of that you can attribute. A, we had a, a pretty great stable of of three running backs who needed touches. Um, B, Matt Corral was hurt. Uh, you know as much as he carried the team on his shoulders, there had to be some consideration to him being banged up at times too. He uh, also ran a lot. So that, Oh yeah. Yeah. He's led the team in rushing attempts actually. <laughs> That's <laughs> astonishing. Yeah. Probably Didn't not on 30 first. attempts against Tennessee. Isn't that right? Something like that. Something yeah. bizarre. <laughs> like Tim uh, Tebow ish. <laughs> yeah. So, so, my thought is that we're going to have good quarterback play next year. Like not Matt Corral, Heisman candidate quarterback play, but good enough where you have confidence in your quarterback to throw the ball in almost any situation. Um, and we might not have quite as much running back depth slash talent. Uh, obviously Zach Evans is, you know, probably going to be a pretty elite player, but after that, I don't know that we have the, the thunder to his lightning. Uh, so right. Well, you know, that's TBD. So I honestly think we could be more balanced. We could pass the ball more relative to, to rushing attempts this year. Yeah, yeah. I guess another thing that, that factors in here um, is that if you're ahead a lot in games, you run more. And so that really can, can play a huge part as well in determining. Uh, and so to an extent... Uh, it is somewhat outside of the offense's control uh, and can, could be based on how effective this defense is. Um, so I, I looked up some t- statistics for last season. We all know that the defense was much improved and especially towards the end of the season looked like a, a salty bunch that could kind of uh, make a lot of stuff difficult for offenses. But uh the numbers are interesting. So 26th in pass efficiency defense. So that means, um, you know, in terms of like QBR allowed, you can think of it as. Uh, so how effective were quarterbacks against the this defense, which more heavily weights third downs and uh, touchdowns and interceptions and all that stuff. But 95th in yards per rush allowed, which... I, I knew it was bad, but I didn't actually know it was that bad. Um, I know a lot of that was early in the year when like Alabama ran all over them and Arkansas and Tennessee had no trouble running, but like 
man, 95th in yards per rush. Um, I don't think that next year is a year where you say, we got to fix that so we can beat Alabama. Um, but the problem is like, and I, I mean that because I don't think there's any chance or much of a chance that we beat Alabama. Uh, but the problem is that that Arkansas game, those, you know, A&M game, LSU, like those become hard if you can't stop the run. And with new linebackers and no Sam Williams and everything, like maybe teams run even more. And then the fact that you're effective at stopping the pass doesn't really matter as much. Yeah, that's true. Well, okay, so I think maybe a large part of that pass efficiency stat was because of our pass rush. Um, yeah. That's not, you know, all on the secondary. So Sam Williams right. and, and Cedric Johnson combined were just a terror back there. Um, so we have that to replace. But on the good news side, I think we do gain some bodies on the defensive line uh, overall. Um, gaining guides like JJ Pegues, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, hopefully have a lot more contribution from Taiwan Malone. Hopefully the two Juco defensive tackles we brought in have that second year emergence that often happens with Juco guys. Jared uh, Ivey from Georgia Tech. Oh yeah. Bringing in a, a, a big traditional, you know, three, four defensive end and Jared Ivey. Um, Marcus Tillman-esque. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I think there's a lot of um, they've done a lot of work to improve the defensive line room overall, um, and they have some some you know good guys returning as well. Um, Hal Northern looks to to be pretty decent, and um, yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned some of the newcomers. You mentioned JJ Pegues uh, in the press conference on this on the after the first day of spring practice. AJ Finley was asked uh, which newcomers he thought were making an impact. And it's one day of, of practice that's not even in pads and all that kind of stuff. But he singled out Davison Igmanosin, J.J. Pegues, and Ladarius Tennyson. And I've heard Ladarius Tennyson's name. I, I watch every press conference. <laughs> and uh, I've heard Ladarius Tennyson's name at least three times in three days uh, mentioned, which is interesting, right? Because I think that at least I am guilty of having just sort of said like, well, we brought in Ashim Young and Darius Tennyson to an already stacked safety room. Like he's going to have trouble figure finding uh, a spot, especially with Ashim Young. And I know Ashim Young is out because he got into a fight and has his jaw wired shut. Uh, but he was in a car wreck. Oh, well, that's not, that's not true. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, like, um, I'm just surprised to hear it. And, and I think Ladarius Tennyson, like, when he transferred in, we knew that he was a talented player. But hearing him already being mentioned as kind of one of the newcomers is making a big difference was at least a little surprising to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, he, again, he seemed like a guy who maybe struggled to start consistently at Auburn, although Auburn right. typically has a lot more talent on defense than, than does Ole Miss. But yeah. Um, still to see him emerge as an early standout is, is really encouraging. Yeah. Especially because, you know, losing Jake Springer, who I don't, I don't know that we mentioned by name, but yeah, losing him is another big loss for, for the defense. Uh, and so, yeah, hopefully finding a guy in his position like Tennyson, uh, will, will go a long way to helping the defense improve. 
Yeah. The other two players Finley mentioned, Davis Enigma Nosen. Uh, I have heard only that the coaches, when they recruited him, thought that he was kind of like a top 50-ish player in the country. Um, I think he was ranked as like the number 90-something player in the country. Um, but they expect him to be an impact player kind of immediately. And he's huge for a corner. So that's you know interesting. Uh, and then J.J. Pegues. J.J. Pegues, I, I was less... I guess I was a little surprised to hear him singled out um, so early, but also less surprised because in a non-pads situation, it's just, wow, that dude is huge and has a crazy burst, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, it, it seemed like we were hearing he played a lot of really good snaps at Auburn. Right. Um, yeah. So that's pretty encouraging. Yeah. Um, I think that the last big question of the spring as it pertains to this current team is do we come out of the spring saying, okay, it's these two starters at linebacker, whoever those two are, and then here's the general depth. Or do we come out of spring saying, I I think it's pretty, I I don't think there's a great scenario or a, a likely scenario where Troy Brown is not a starter. Um, but that second spot is between Kari Coleman, uh, Ashanti Sistrunk, and Austin Keys, and, Reg- and, Reg- and Reginald Hughes, and Reginald Hughes, yeah. Uh, and so, does one of those distance himself from the others enough that the starting unit is pretty clear there, or is it kind of Troy Brown and a revolving door? Which either one of those is fine; they're all going to play a ton. But uh, it would be interesting if one of those ended up being like so far and ahead above the others in terms of performance that they were a potential, uh, maybe not star, but potential like major contributor to the team. Yeah, yeah. I think revolving door is is the more likely scenario. I don't think we have the most dire scenario there. I think there are some guys who can play um, and guys with a lot of experience, um, like Sistrong has a quite a bit of experience at this point. And so having him emerge as the second starter would maybe be the most likely scenario in my head. Uh, but it also could be that linebacker becomes um, the top position where we look to fill out the last couple of portal spots post spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's possible. Um, I think Kari Coleman being used at linebacker probably makes it less likely because I, I actually thought that we would use one of those final two to three, depending on um, on kind of who who is potentially walking on or whatever, uh, th- that we would use one of those last two to three on a linebacker. But I think it's not as likely now. Um, that was when I thought Kari Coleman was still likely to play a, a rush end type of position, which doesn't really exist in this defense. So I don't know why I, I would think that. Um, like an undersized defensive end doesn't really work in a three, two, six. Uh, so let's actually talk about recruiting in the 2023 class. The only current commit is Sunterin Perkins, uh, who is obviously a fantastic athlete. He's a top 100 player, um, but only one commit. That in previous years, I think it would have been like, oh God, what's happening? This is a total disaster. And it's not there now because we know that we will never sign 25 high schoolers again. Um, 
But I still think that only one commit is not great. Yeah, it's a little odd. Uh, it, it makes you wonder if perhaps coaches are being a little too withholding with offers or with you know, really putting the press on guys early because uh, that does matter to, to some players. And you wonder if, if we're relying too heavily on the, on the portal, it, it's hard to see um, how roster management, you know, will work in the, in the portal area. So we're only kind of in year two and a half or, or whatever uh, in, you know, in, in the portal era, especially, you know, in the NIL uh, plus poor, right. especially uh, things get really, really interesting with <laughs> how you get and keep players on your roster. Yeah. And, and also, um, you know, there, there are two factors working potentially against Ole Miss repeating in the same way that they did last year. One uh, is other schools could do the same thing. I think that Ole Miss was obviously an early adopter to the strategy of under signing in high schoolers and then being able to sign 17 uh, transfers. I think that is going to become a little bit more normal. Um, not 17, because the number, the total number of scholarships available will revert back to 25. It was 32 this year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having a, a large transfer class, I think, is going to become a bit more normal uh, than, than it was this season. And so you have more schools you're competing against with you know, resources that are equivalent. But then on top of that, I think that uh, from an NIL perspective, we know that, uh, look, Ole Miss, we continue to see these collective groups, NIL collectives sign players that transferred in, uh, which is awesome. That's great. We we love players being played, especially legally. Uh, But the question becomes like, if those players are still around, which they, they will be, right? Most of them are sophomores or juniors. Um, and then next year, we have a whole new crop of transfers we're trying to get. Is there enough alumni support to be able to pay those players what they need to be able to get them? Or is it kind of like, let's wait until some of these transfers graduate to free up funds for for the next crop? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to ask yourself, uh, this is going to be my next uh, spirit message board post. Is it the players who are being paid or is it the payers who are being played? <laughs> Think about that. Oh, man. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so last thing, and then we'll close. Uh, just just still talking about the 2023 class. Um, the quarterback situation obviously is something that needs to be resolved. We have to sign a a good high school quarterback uh, because like because of the ramifications of what we talked about earlier and the fact that either way either between luke altmeyer or jackson dart whoever wins will be a sophomore starter we will be we will not be able to convince a transfer to come in right because right uh you know they will still be on campus and will have solidified themselves Uh, unless i guess if both of them are bad (laughs) <laughs> then then that, that's a different scenario, which is possible, but, um, you know, less probable. So in order to have depth at the QB position, we have to have a true freshman quarterback. Uh, and it has to be someone who is not bad. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So I think the, the picture is getting a little 
clearer in some ways while also getting murkier in some ways. Um, I don't see how Arch Manning ends up at Ole Miss. Do you, do you think that's still a possibility? It would be foolish to say that Ole Miss leads or has a particularly good chance right now. Um, or, sh- or should wait for him, right? Exactly. Yeah, especially yeah. given that there are at least two very good quarterbacks that, that we are aware of that like Ole Miss right now. Yeah, I think that if, if Arch Manning were at a point where he had said, look, at the on, on May 1st, I'm going to commit to the school that I'm going to go to, then maybe you say, okay, that's you know a month away. Maybe we can hold out and, and wait. But he hasn't said that. And so when you have players like Chris Bazina, Marcel Reed, Jaden Rashada that are, you know, on the board for Ole Miss and all thought of to be very strong options at quarterback, I don't think you can keep saying like, let's just wait to see what Arch does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any year we could get one of those three guys, like we'd be ecstatic and so would any team in the SEC except for, you know, the top two or three. Georgia and Alabama. Yeah. 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 So like, yeah. How do you, how do you sleep on one of those guys? If one of those guys says like, Hey, uh, how about I commit? Like, <laughs> Oh, I mean, I think that, you know, what you do is you say to each of them, like, we're ready to take you now. If you want to come, like we mm-hmm. will stop recruiting other quarterbacks and, you know, show them that this is not a, we're waiting on arch situation. Because yeah. I think that, like, for some of them, the programs that they're also considering are waiting on Arch Manning. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if Arch wants to go and, and play on a Texas team that somehow still sucks, then, you know, go for it, man. Or, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good way to end. Uh, thanks so much for joining. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back at it again soon. Uh, I don't know exactly when soon is we don't take the approach of every once a week or twice a week when there's not a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. We would rather try to make these kind of jam packed with, with stuff. Uh, but whenever that is, we'll, we'll come at you again. Thanks everybody.